Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. This is Jim Donovan. It's currently 10 a.m. and I'm recording from my office. This started out as a bad week. I got rear-ended at a traffic light. It's the third time this year. I'm never driving through Glendale again. I don't care how relevant it is for the case. The estimate at the body shop told me a thousand bucks, which would have been the other guy's responsibility, but he, of course, committed a hit and run and didn't stick around long enough to exchange insurance information. That's why I was ever so pleased to get the text with my latest assignment. Be wary staring your reflection in the eyes. We have reports coming in from all over Los Angeles that a creature of unknown origin has been entering people's homes through the mirror and leaving the victims in a deep coma. Ascertain the identity of this creature and stop it if possible. Means to do so up to your discretion. Great. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised that one of my boyhood fears has found its way to me. The classic Pinkerton experience. I didn't want to accidentally attract the attention of this mirror monster. So I took some wide masking tape and, without looking, taped off eye level on the bathroom mirror of my apartment. Duct tape may be better for the memes, but masking tape works better on glass, as it's easier to pull off and doesn't leave a residue. I suppose I could use mirror tape, but I hate cluttering my life with unitaskers. Masking tape will work fine. I rummaged through my bag of tricks, which is disguised as a filing cabinet. Okay, it's 100% just a filing cabinet. I keep a store of magical items that I've picked up over the years, some of which I've made myself. The Verum Visio has many uses, provided you're careful. And of course, I also keep some famous artifacts that I intend to use for magical purposes. For instance, I found two mini-balls smashed together at an old Civil War battlefield. With that artifact, I intend to craft a ward against bullet fire. Magic works on a sense of irony. But for the mirror monster, I'd need a dark implement that, well, I didn't make. I'm miles away from being capable of the degree of evil needed to create a soul stone. Uh, to summarize Control, a necromancer by the name of Nigel Hawkwood used foul magics to tempt a man to suicide, and then used his soul to create a powerful focus for even fouler necrotic magic. I managed to kill the necromancer one night, after he had gotten absolutely hammered at a local bar. Just because a person is exceptionally evil, it doesn't mean they aren't also exceptionally stupid. For the record, I am convinced that the soul stone is not evil in and of itself. What it does is allow the spellcaster to harness the soul of any creature killed, and turn that soul into a source of energy. It also works to absorb some of the more intangible creatures of Oshreter, like ghosts or nature spirits. I guess the closest thing would be the proton packs in Ghostbusters. It works on something a bit like the conservation of energy equation. Matter can either be created or destroyed, merely converted into another form of matter or energy. By the same token, souls cannot be created or destroyed, save by the Almighty. They can only be converted. 
While most take this to be a purely evil process, I wouldn't even begin to try to explain this moral gray area to Sean. Its relative goodness and evilness are kind of dependent on the intent of the man wielding the soul stone, and also on the source of the souls he procures. The stone is not a sentient thing. It is no different than a gun. For instance, a lot of necromancers try to capture the souls of children under 13. There's a age of innocence thing that provides more bang for the buck. I, however, intend to charge up my stone with the souls of foul and unredeemable agents of Terre, and use the stone for good. Until now, I have been dealing in cases that wouldn't show off its talents, such as the case off the Oregon coast with the murderous, demon-worshipping fish people. Or, there have been foes that would be too powerful for me to capture, such as the insane demon in Spokane, Washington. And I have no intention of sucking up the ghosts in Griffith Park. Why ruin the tourism? Why ruin a good lead into the other side? I considered my defenses carefully. I got out one of those Costco-sized boxes of kosher salt, the kind that weigh four pounds. In front of every mirror in my house, I laid down a thick line of salt. I wasn't sure if the creature in the mirror was a ghost, a fae, or a demon. But much like cold iron hurts the fae, salt hurts ghosts. In both the physical and spiritual planes, salt acts as a preservative that purges contaminants. Well, okay, it's a little more complicated than that, but we'll just stick with the simple answers for now. I'm sure your local pastor would love to explain the various salt metaphors in the Bible. It felt so weird having this much prep time and the ability to control the environment where I could fight the creature. After I laid down the salt lines, I slipped on my iron ring, just in case it was a fae instead of a ghost. With the iron ring, masking tape over the mirrors, and a line of salt in front of each mirror, I felt pretty solidly prepared for whatever would be coming. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't have been more mistaken. I decided to try to conjure the creature at midnight. The timing would help for some of my suspects. I was assuming it wasn't a demon, since the mirror monster psychically trapped its victims. Demons can do stuff like that, but they're more prone to possessing the victims entirely rather than simply inducing catatonic states. So, to wrap up preparation, I had a quick meal. Not for any mystical purposes, but I can't think of any human endeavor that is improved with an empty stomach. Eventually, it rocked close to midnight. I went into the bathroom. I peeled back the tape, but averted my eyes just in case. I picked up the soul stone from its resting place on the counter. I opened myself up to the Verumvisio. You always have to be in the Visio to use the soul stone as anything more than a heavy paperweight. The stone allows you greater freedom to tug at the threads of creation, and I was going to take full advantage of that power. The stone, seen in the Visio, is an incredible maelstrom of color, light, and sound. It pulsed and writhed in my palm. I concentrated until it was amenable to my control. It was like trying to light a stove with a bonfire-lit branch. Just before midnight, it was calm enough for me to use. I held the stone out to the mirror and tapped it against the glass. Touching the reflection created a thread from the mirror to the stone. I turned out the lights and covered every window. The light emanating from the soul stone could not be seen by the naked eye. The darkness was thick, even in places where the lights of passing cars and ambulances cut in like a rude dance partner. The atmosphere gathered deeper, thicker, until I could tangibly feel it just beyond my fingertips. The time was right. 
I decided to use an old game from my childhood to summon the creature, Bloody Mary. The myth has been around for a couple of hundred years. You turn out the light, you look into a mirror, and chant Bloody Mary three times. Then, a horrifying face appears. It rips out your eyes, drinks your blood, and steals your soul. <laughs> Whatever. Reality's always more complicated. But it was a fun little game to play as a kid. Divination and channeling through mirrors has been around for thousands of years. The Greeks would stare into a mirror to see if a sick person would live or die, based on whether they would see a healthy or sick face staring back at them. The odd thing is, there is a phenomenon where if you stare into a mirror long enough, your features will blur, elongate, become otherworldly. Science has a hard time explaining it, outside of optical illusion coupled with psychologically induced hysteria. But the paranormal Pinkertons know better. And this case was just another example of science providing false explanations for weird phenomena. It's good to seek answers and explanations behind mysteries. But nobody is helped when a person rigidly adheres to a worldview based on naturalism. After all, there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamed of in your philosophy. After a while, I just started chanting anything I could remember that had anything to do with mirrors. Songs, poems, rhymes, and even a half-remembered college philosophy essay. Sometimes I would stop for a few minutes, let the quiet grow, before launching into some Iron Maiden or 50 different kinds of Mirror Mirror on the Wall. There are even a couple of Michael Jackson songs about mirrors. In my research, even Insane Clown Posse had House of Mirrors. I sang that one too. By 12.30, I was hungry again. It didn't feel like I was making any progress. It was a Friday, so there were still a lot of Uber drivers patrolling the streets. I'd try again after a late night burger. The closest one that's any good is two miles away. No one walks in LA, and I wasn't about to start after midnight on a Friday. I put my phone away. My reflection hadn't put away his own phone. It was just standing there. The light of the phone illuminated my own face. It just stood there. It wasn't moving. It wasn't breathing. I put my finger over the soul stone and teased the thread that intersected the mirror. I wanted the creature. The soul stone concentrated its light into a white beam, striking the thing's forehead. My mirror image shuddered. It turned and mimicked my body. Yet it was in mockery. Its cheeks sagged and its mouth gaped open. The eyes sunk deep into the skull, and the sclera turned blood red. The ears ballooned out like an eight-year-old man's, and the nose swelled up with white acne pustules like a thirteen-year-old boy. It was me, but an ugly, twisted imitation. The lips curled into a grotesquerie of a smile, warped and cruel. The figure on the other side leaned back and stuck his hand out, as though to come through the mirror. I chuckled at him, gave him a little wave. The salt line would prevent any ghost from coming through. I stopped chuckling when his hand actually started pushing through the mirror. It inched toward me. The face in the mirror showed exertion. Whatever it was fought against the boundaries. The mirror stretched against the hand like plastic wrap, restraining it. Fake me began punching the mirror with his other hand. Again and again, he threw his weight into the mirror. 
It didn't shatter, like it would if you or I punched a mirror. It didn't make a sound. It just silently bowed out and bent like a bubble, or like a cyst under the skin. Every rebound shifted the image, making it uglier, moving parts of me around, twisting arms, bending backs. I flicked on the bathroom light switch. The mirrorscape did not change. Not even any comforting glow of electric lights. Edison never knew the blessings of his inventions like the paranormal Pinkertons did. The face stretched open as in a silent scream. With both hands pushing through the mirror, it got its leg up on the counter and began pushing that against the mirror as well. My nerve snapped. I ran out of the room, breathing heavily. Adrenaline surged through my veins. But I wasn't sure which of the fight-or-flight options was the better in this scenario. I stared at the soul stone in my hand, confused why it didn't do anything to the creature. I shook it a few times, as though it were a TV remote whose batteries were dying. Nothing happened. The glow remained the same in the Verambicio. I slipped it in my pocket. The mirror reflection disappeared from the bathroom. It had given up. Relieved, I went to my fridge to get a bottle of water. If I was going to fight this thing, I'd need to be hydrated. Creatures like this operated on rules. I needed to figure out what the rules were. At some point, I'd get it. I had just opened the fridge when I noticed my TV reflecting a glimmer of light from the street lamps outside. My widescreen, 60-inch Costco TV that I had gotten for $350. My big TV, which reflects like a mirror when it's turned off. I was far enough away that I didn't see me. All I saw was the monster, the twisted reflection, facing me as big and broad as a reporter giving the news. It bounced from the TV to a line of framed pictures I had on the wall. It lurched from one picture to the next, with a strange, jerking motion. It dove, left hand out, and fingers splayed. I don't think anyone, except maybe a contortionist, could have twisted their body into such odd positions. It was like watching a drunk toddler walk if it had adult-sized limbs. They spindled and folded over each other. I've watched many a Doug Jones movie, and that man understands how to move in disconcerting ways. But even he wouldn't be able to replicate how the mirror me moved. It came closer and closer. But I didn't have pictures or reflective surfaces in the kitchen itself. I muttered, nice try, jackass, and took a drink of water, only to catch one of his bloodshot, droopy eyes staring back at me from the water's reflection, hand reaching down the water to my throat. I dropped the bottle and let out a profanity or two. The water spilled from the bottle and formed a puddle, a fully reflective puddle. This time, there wasn't a line of salt to hinder its entry into the world. It snaked one hand and arm out of the puddle, and then a leg. The bubble-like cyst effect was no longer there. It was real. The head came up next, the neck a fair bit longer and disjointed than my own. Its bloodshot eyes stabbed at me. It screamed at me with all the wretchedness of rusty nails and broken glass. I ran out of that house faster than I have run from anything. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see the monster following me from every somewhat reflective surface in my house. But the Uber driver pulled up outside my front door, 
came time for once. I figured if I could just get away from the creature, perhaps I could regroup and gather my thoughts. There was a grocery store nearby. I'd go buy some salt and start over at a hotel. Really control the environment this time. How's it going, my man? The driver said, inappropriately enthusiastic for the time of night. Hi, I'm Jim. I replied back to him. Can you drive me to Ralph's? The driver inputted the destination to his iPhone and said, Sure can. Looks like that'll be ten min- What the hell? I was adjusting my seatbelt, so I looked up. Through the rearview mirror, I could see the creature. The driver had reached up to adjust his rear view so he could look at me better, and must have made eye contact with the creature. I watched in horror as it pushed its way through the mirror, and as the driver looked on in shock, it jammed its arm up to the elbow into his mouth and kept pushing through as it crawled out of the mirror. The man made choking, gagging noises, flailing and smashing the horn on his car. I pulled out the soul stone. I felt no remorse using a civilian as bait. His temporary discomfort would save lives. With half its body possessing the driver, there was nothing between the creature and the soul stone. I opened myself to the visio. I looped threads of air and darkness from the soul stone, as though it were a lasso, and I snagged the mirror monster's head, pulling tight on its neck. It was secure. The instant the first thread ensnared the creature, it jerked its head up and stopped looking at the Uber driver. It glared right at me, a dead, passionless expression in its eyes. I was reminded of the hatred of the insane demon in Spokane. Different creatures entirely, but I still seem to engender vitriol in the forces of Otraterre wherever I go. I'm pretty sure that's going to come back to haunt me one of these days. I focused on the threads binding the creature to me. This is always the most dangerous part of any fight. I'd have to see it through now. No running. The mirror monster slowly snaked its arm and hand out of the Uber driver's throat. As soon as the hand had cleared the civilian, I looped another thread around that hand and pulled it so that the monster did not have proper command of it anymore. At the time, our fight seemed slow, but I'm sure it was punctuated by fast, vicious movements between the two of us. It tried to retreat back into the mirror. I had to solidify my will and focus on pulling him out. It was like deep-sea fishing a marlin. Give it some slack, then reel it in. The Verum Visio is like the old myths. Chains made of impossible things do not break. The forces of Otraterre are rarely capable of exhausting themselves, so I guess it's actually less like fishing, and more like playing tug-of-war with an aggressively playful pit bull. If you lose, you might wind up getting mauled. I mentally began pulling harder on the threads, my hands making the motions, looping more and more of them around the creature. Its nose, its ears, each individual finger. Anything to give me more surface area to exert my will on the monster. Slowly but surely, it inched out of the mirror. The Uber driver, now free, freaked out and ran out of the car and just stared at the tableau before him. I glanced over once his way and watched him filming me on his iPhone. <sighs> I hate modern culture. The monster's other hand, the one I hadn't looped, was dragged through the mirror, and he tried to catch me off guard while I was distracted by the Uber driver with dreams of internet fame. Wrong move. I'd been anticipating that other hand for some time. It shot forward to strangle me, rushing through the lines I had already set up. Right into my trap. 
I let it get right up to my throat, then quick-looped several threads around it, and exerted enough force repelling it towards the stone and away from my throat. The monster's face contorted from blank-eyed hatred into abject terror. As its first hand came closer and closer to touching the stone, it pulled away from me with enough force to cause my hand to waver, but not fall, inch by inch, until finally its fingertips caressed the stone. The visio mimicked an amoeba, swallowing prey. The monster was absorbed. It wouldn't bother anyone else again. I sat back and breathed heavily, and stared at the now faintly glowing stone in my hand. It felt full, contented, satisfied. I put it into a sack I had specially made ready in my pocket. Thinking back on it, I really didn't expect it to glow like that. Whatever kind of creature this was, be it monster, ghost, or fae, I'm still not sure, it had to be pretty powerful for its soul to cause the stone to visibly glow outside the Verimbisio, visible to the naked eye. It had to be pretty powerful to make the stone want to devour it. I hadn't seen it work before. I'm going to have to do a lot of research. Must have been something I missed in Nigel's notes. When I had recovered, I shot a loop of energy to the driver's phone and blanked its memory. The show was over, after all. He was not pleased that his phone stopped working, but he couldn't pin it on me. Control, I think this man's going to be a problem, so I recommend either a full memory wipe, a la Men in Black, or just a smear campaign to discredit him. I hate to ruin an innocent man's life, but I have work to do, and his desire to become famous is going to impede me, and it's going to risk lives. I've included his name in my case file notes. Oh, hey, Jack, I know you're listening. <laughs> you're always listening. I got that obsidian knife you sent me. Um, I glanced at it in the Visio when it first came in, and it looks ugly. There's even a bit of you left on it, like a spiritual residue. Uh, I'll do some research, maybe toy around with it some. I'll let you know what I find. Until next time, Control, this is Jim Donovan, signing off. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio and licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. This episode was written and performed by Ken Dickison, who also performed the audio editing. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on SuperversiveSF.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, including on Authorized TV, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts. Support us on Patreon, or email us at PinkertonsGhosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.